It all started with cards and memorization. From the steel mills of Pennsylvania to one of the greatest minds the world has ever seen. Introducing Jim Carroll, author, speaker, and mentalist turned memory expert. Jim has been featured on the Today Show, The Ellen Show, Howard Stern, and hundreds of other publications. He has been studied by Florida Hospital for his brain and memory and is a frequent speaker at MIT. Jim has also performed at several USO tours, working closely with our military and wounded warriors. Working with Jim Carroll and spending time with him gives me hope in general. I call Jim the holy grail of the neuroscience world. He's now taking his knowledge and skills to the podcast world, interviewing some of the most impressive minds and allowing them to tell their stories about how they beat the odds. Welcome back to another episode of Beating the Odds with your host, Jim Carroll. On today's episode, we have Dr. Robert Ajamian. Dr. Robert Ajamian is a research scientist at the McGovern Institute for Brain Research at MIT. Robert studies the neurocontrol of movement, representations of learned skills as motor memories, and more recently, the relationship between motor memories and declarative memories. Dr. Jamian and Jim hit it off on this episode talking a lot about memory. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with Robert Ajamian. Hey, how's everybody doing today, tonight, this afternoon? Uh, I'm Jim Carroll. And when I wrote this book, Ultimate Memory Magic, this is going to be a very interesting podcast for those of you that have memory issues or think their memory is slipping and things like that, because the guest I'm bringing on today, I want to find out for myself what the hell's going on in my brain. Why was I able to go from an unemployed steel worker, barely out of high school with a one, like a 1.1 grade point average to where I am today with this memory? I don't even know how it's happening. And I didn't start till I was 50. So I thought, what a better guest to have on than a neuroscientist, a gene. In fact, he's a research scientist at MIT's McGovern Institute for Brain Research. He has a PhD in cognitive and neural systems. I have no idea what that even is. He also has a degree in physics from Harvard, and he happens to be a dear, 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 dear friend of mine. Robert, are you out there? How you doing? Robert and Jamie and everybody. This guy is one of the most brilliant, brilliant people that I've ever met. And when he started bringing me out to MIT and introducing me to some of his friends, I'm like, what the heck am I doing in this company? A guy that barely made it out of high How you doing, Robert? What's going on in Boston up there? I'm doing fine. Just weathering the storm like everybody inside and happy to appear on your podcast and discuss issues of, of memory. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when I, when I thought about this, I couldn't think of anybody other than you to have on here and, and, uh, like, I don't know, you, you know a little bit about what I did, what I've done when I wrote the book, and because we talked about it, you want to really use the word magic. We don't want people to think it's a trick, and because what had happened, even though I was a magician when I first started my career, the book Ultimate Memory Magic and the stuff that I'm doing right now with my brain, it's real magic. It, it's, it has nothing to do with any of that. But let me, let me ask you a question here. You know, I thought about you, and one of the main things I wanted to always ask you, and you never, I never asked you this, like what does modern day neuroscience know about how the heck memory works? Like 
explain that because I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know how I do it. I just do it. So that's why I needed somebody on to explain. You know what it's like. You need the science behind things. I, is, is what I'm doing a, like a coincidence? or what, What's going on here? So it's an interesting question. What do we know about memory? What do neuroscientists know about memory? And the answer is kind of in two parts. At the cellular and the molecular level, there are lots of studies going on. We know a lot about the neurotransmitters that are involved. We use a lot of imaging techniques to take a look at what parts of the brain are active when memory function is operative. So we know a lot of the little details. But what we don't know, and the degree to which we are ignorant of it is quite remarkable, actually, is how it all functions together to generate memory function. So at the little picture detail, we know a lot. But at the big picture detail, we unfortunately know very little. And you're a great example, Jim. I, I call you, I've labeled you the man with the world's greatest long-term memory. Oh, and I appreciate I that. You probably yeah. are. And how you do what you do remains a, a mystery that people don't fully understand. And this is because all aspects of the brain are puzzling at the systems level, right? We put our instruments in, we have our microscopes and our probes, and we look at the little parts. But understanding the brain is a big puzzle. It's how do you put the pieces together so that a big picture emerges. And to a large extent, we don't know how that big picture emerges, which is why I became interested in you. Because even though we don't know how to put together all the little neurotransmitters and all this data, we do know behaviorally that there are certain methods and techniques which allow one to develop a prodigious memory. And no one embodies that more than you. And as you and I have discussed a lot, these techniques date back to the time of the ancient Greeks. And it's called the method of loci. And that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. And it was in use for most of human civilization. People used to have to remember things. Why? Because they didn't have smartphones to keep their lists in. And if you go back long enough, they didn't even have books to keep their information in. So for a long time, people needed to exercise their memory function on a regular basis, just as they needed to walk, to hunt, chop wood, etc., on a regular basis. And so these techniques, as you know, because you've come up with them independently on your own, generally involve a kind of maps. You store memories in these maps that you invent, these spatial locations. And you attach this information to these spatial locations. And then you do this little mental journey on this map. And what used to be difficult to remember when you implement this technique, surprisingly, becomes easy to remember. So what I'm trying to figure out is, why the heck does this work so well? But we don't need to know that it works. I don't even have really much of an idea as to why it works so well. But the point is, it does work so well. And you and thousands of years of history prove that human beings are capable of remarkable feats of memory if only they apply themselves towards it. It takes work. 
and obviously not everyone's going to be as mad much of a madman as you are in terms of working on this stuff on a daily basis but 20 minutes a day can get you pretty far yeah you know i actually started off at about 20 to 40 minutes a day on the bike and wanted to get it up to an hour and just kept feeding and feeding my brain information just like you would feed your body and uh I'm just trying to figure out like what like what the heck happened to me though like why why so late in life why did why at 50 or so so you're telling me people out here that are listening right now that are in their 50s and even in their 60s like I'm 67 now you science knows that you could actually learn at this age you could continue to learn even well into your 50s 60s and 70s is that true yeah, for sure. But I don't even think you need to refer to science to justify that claim. I mean, it's yeah. just empirically, studies show people can learn at any age. Now, you might be a better learner when you're younger, but you can learn at any age. And anybody can learn these memory techniques. They might not all turn out to be someone as good as you as far as implementing these memory techniques, but anyone can improve their memory by many orders, by at least fivefold or tenfold with consistent practice over three to six months, 20 minutes a day. How, how about somebody that like has a, an issue, Robert, like an in, they had an injury or they're just having memory issues. Like what kind of treatment options would you recommend to somebody like that? Like somebody that, I don't know. I I'm just trying to help other people. See, I try to help whatever I could do with the knowledge that I have and, and, the, and the systems and the things that work for me. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I have a memory program coming out now and things like that. But like, uh, academically, what would you recommend to, for somebody that has an injured brain or, or an injured memory? Like what would they do? What, what, what are the options out there? Well, there really, I mean, there are lots of therapeutic options, but they all basically amount to one thing. Try to use it, use it. And for example, uh, my colleague Emilio Pizzi at MIT has done a lot of work looking at stroke. And there are a bunch of different therapies for recovering from the motor deficits that arise from stroke. Here I'm talking about movement deficits, not other types of deficits, which of course can arise too. And basically a lot of the different therapies all result in roughly the same level of improvement. The key issue is how hard does the subject or patient want to work and how much do they exercise the injured faculty. So you, the best way to keep your brain active is to use it. Exactly what are the best types of treatments, what are the types of ways to use it to optimize your recovery. There's a lot of debate an argument over that and no one really knows the correct answer but being inactive not using your brain is not an option if you want to maximize your ability to recover from a neurological injury so so like i i attribute a lot of what i've accomplished through like passion. I think passion has a lot to do with this. I'm like very passionate. It's like, like I used to be on the bike and I'm like, I'm not getting off this bike till I memorize a hundred digits of pie today. You know what I mean? I, I was very passionate and I disciplined myself. Like, does that work is for, would that work for the normal, for the average person that 
if you're injured and stuff, it, it could could passion? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, yeah, well, like, yeah. What do you think about that? Like passion is that important? Yes. Yeah. Physical exercise aren't different. What you need in both is to be motivated, and that you can't get off the ground unless you're motivated. You are not going to get your heart in good shape if you're not motivated to exercise and you're not going to get your brain in good shape unless you're motivated to use it. So, and different people are motivated by different things and I'm not an expert on what it takes to motivate someone. I know that you're a good one-on-one -on -one working with people and you've done that a lot in the past and you're able to inspire them and motivate them. But you can't get off the ground unless someone's willing to do the work and to do the work, they need to be motivated. Yeah. And that's why I use the, the cards and things like that. Like I'll, I'll go to a, a military facility and, and, uh, you can see the, yeah, you know, at first they don't know who I am, you know, if, because I'm not like a nationally known celebrity or anything. And, and, and I'd come in and I, and you have to, I found I have to win them over, like you said, and, and motivate them. So what I would do is pull out cards and shuffle them up and, and all of a sudden, so, hey, Ace, Ace of Spade, two hearts, nine, nine, five, hey, they, and they, or, or I'd come into a poker tournament. They'd be playing poker. Wow, then that would be it. Once somebody's playing poker, that's my thing. And I'd come in and I'd use a deck of cards as a, not a lure, I don't want to say a lure, but to, to, to show like, hey, watch this, boom. And all of a sudden, I have the deck member. How would you like to learn how to do that right now? So I guess that's the kind of motivation yeah. that I use. And it seems to help. It, it seems to, I, boy, it, yeah, Without I, motivation, I don't know what the heck, how would you would, how about the memory training stuff? Like, like, I guess what I did, uh, by, by forming this system in my head, like we, we talked about what I call the mental matrix. Now that, that would be considered memory training. Is that memory training? Would you highly recommend memory training to anybody, right? Yes. Except that you have to think about why is it that people aren't willing to do memory training? I mean, you stumbled upon this quite fortuitously. Yes. Just because you were on the exercise bike working on your own physical health and you started doing these mental games and it obviously sprouted into something much bigger. But people generally aren't interested in developing or working on their memory for the simple reason that I don't need to remember anything. If I have something I need to remember, I'll just write it in my smartphone or I'll write it down on a list or I'll go on the internet and I'll look it up. And that's really the big problem. Memories become something of a dirty word from the standpoint of cognitive training because people think, well, the memory capacity of computers is infinite. They're all around me. I'm interacting with them on a daily basis. So why do I need to exercise my memory? But if you think about it, this is really a, a poor judgment because nobody asks the question, well, I have bicycle. I mean, I have a motor scooter. I have trains, planes, and automobiles. Why do I need to go to the gym? I don't need to run for transportation. I don't need to, to walk to go to the grocery store. I can drive my car. But the fact is, is that memory training might be a very fundamental cognitive capacity which you're exercising. Just as when you go to the gym and you go on the exercise bike or the treadmill. You're exercising your heart in a very general way. See, and that you're, you're exactly as you know, and I'm finding out. I'm discovering on my own that the exercising, the memory training, like you said, that cognitive fitness, cognitive exercise, it, it's actually affecting me physically. 
and it really, it really affects you physically. Right. I mean, if you'd see me when I work out lifting weights in here, I mean, it's just amazing. Like, like I'll do my memory training right when I wake up, when I wake up, I'll do some, I'll, I'll learn some new things. All right. Like, and not to bore anybody, but I, I don't do five hours a day anymore. Like I used to, I mean, now I'm, now I'm about 30 minutes in the morning, maybe 35 and I'll, I'll learn something new. And then when I go down the basement here and work out, it's just, I don't know. It's just a, an amazing connection. Then I still, instead of doing the bike, now I do the treadmill and then I review what I learned in the morning on the treadmill to keep from being bored once again. And then at night I just sit back on my couch, close my eyes and I just try to review some more stuff and it just relaxes you. It's like, I, like I said, I call it meditation instead of meditation. And this is just amazing. I like it. Like you can see, I'm so in, Oh, I just love the brain. I just, I, I admire people like you. I wish I could have studied the brain and neuroscience like you did. And this is just amazing. I mean, I, I wish I would not waited till 67 to begin all of this. It's just, it's just amazing. You know, like, like we've gone to the moon. I mean, the technology is through the roof today. All right. Treatments for cancer. Why the heck? Uh, is it so difficult to understand how the mind works? What's going on here? Why, why are we not advancing in that area? I mean, with Alzheimer's right now predicted to be double the amount of cases, what's going on here? Why, what is. Yeah. So the brain is really one of the more complicated structures, if not the most complicated structure in the entire universe. Why? Well, because its function is not represented in the individual parts. You have billions of neurons, quadrillions of synapses, but the function can only be understood from how they interact, how they engage one another. And you've got neurotransmitters all of all sorts. You've got hormonal influences. You've got external influences. There are a lot of things going on. It's the epitome of what scientists call a complex system, like the global climate and the international economy. There are so many factors going on, and it's really hard to go from the individual factors to the global behavior of the system. So it's a very difficult challenge. On the other hand, that being said, we have thousands and thousands of years of experience, and this is what I don't understand why some of my colleagues ignore this fact. We know that memory training, just anecdotally for thousands of years, just like People know that meditation kind of calms you, your mind. We know that memory training kind of stimulates your mind and gets you going. I mean, look at what you've done. You've used memory training as kind of your own like virtual mental exercise that gets you kick-started anytime you want. You just turn it on and you're playing these mental games. And that kind of keeps you kind of very alive right? Very energetic, very engaged. And I want to get other people to start learning these techniques and practicing them just to see if they have major influences in their own lives. Because the fact of the matter is, there are no neuropharmological solutions for some of these major problems like Alzheimer's on the horizon. We might as well take what we know works, at least anecdotally in people for thousands of years, and apply it to our own lives and see what happens. You know, especially, especially in these times, 
I don't know about you, but it looks like I, I last time I seen you, you didn't have a beard. So it looks like you're hunkered down. I mean, I, I kind of have to obey the rules up here living in New York. You know what I mean? So I've been home a long time here. And fortunately for me, I have a companion, I have a wife and everything else, but like the people that are out there alone every night, alone, alone, day after day after day, what I found and discovered is so helpful that if you do this memory training, trust me when I tell you this, folks, it, you can just close your eyes and it's like you can just venture into a place and just practice your training. It's like a self-motivator. It kills time. And, and just like the old adage, counting sheep, Robert, you remember that? They said it puts you to sleep. Well, this puts me to sleep. I'll, I'll be I'll be sitting there on my couch and practicing this stuff, and and all of a sudden I'm I'm ready to go to I'm falling asleep, and I go in a go I go in a room and I hunk just hop on the bed and bam I'm out like a light. And another thing I found out about the memory trip from doing all this memory training when you review it. Now I don't know how this works. All right, I don't know how this works. I'm in a very bad mood. I got a a, a very disturbing phone call once from somebody and they kept calling me and calling me and I was in such a bad mood. I didn't want to say, and I sit on my couch and I start in my head. I'm going Delaware, Dover, Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, New Jersey, Trenton, and Georgia, Atlanta, reviewing all the states and capitals in my mind from one to 50, like they were put into the union just for the heck of it. By the time I got to 50 Hawaii, Honolulu, I didn't even know what I was upset about. So there's a lot of, positive fringe benefits to, to, to memorizing things, memory exercises and, and this cognitive fitness. This is the real deal. And what's really cool is I found it affects my body. And that's what, what is going on, Robert? Why does the, why is it affecting me physically as well now? See, it always affected me mentally, but now it's affecting me physically. I'm more active. I'm more energetic. I'm, I'm like lifted weight. I, what's going on with that? Like, could you explain that? Like, yeah. I mean, the mind-body connection, again, that dates back thousands of years to the old Latin adage, what was it, sans, sans men, sans corpus, sans, uh, sans mind, sans body. And obviously those two entities influence one another. So I don't think there's anything that's surprising about that. But the point that I think you're really illustrating is what's kind of unique about memory training and playing memory games is that it's a real self-contained activity that you can basically use and just fall back on anytime you're bored or you're in a line or you don't know what to do with yourself for a few minutes. Not every mental activity is like that. Like if you're solving a math puzzle, you really need to concentrate and you need to be at a, at a table and you can't do it under any condition. But Memory training, I'm sure as you know, you, know you, you can be waiting anywhere. You can have some free time anywhere, and you can immediately immerse yourself in that activity, occupy your time, and feel somewhat fulfilled and gratified by it. So it kind of occupies a unique niche as a mental activity that you can pick it up and put it down whenever you want, and you don't miss a beat. And I think that's one of the parts of it. I mean, don't you do that in your daily life whenever you want? Yeah, every day I'm po every day I'm inventing new memory games, new things. Like like I would I would play these memory games. I I have individual memory games that I can play by myself. All right, without using a computer. They're just things I use. 
And then I can play against other people. I can play against a group of people or I'll play Scrabble a lot. I started playing a lot of Scrabble. I used to get my butt kicked in Scrabble, but no longer. I mean, ever since I memorized the Scrabble dictionary, it's pretty tough to beat, beat me. But, but, but other than that, what I've found that when you teach someone a memory game and you teach them how easy it is to win at it, it builds up the confidence, the self-esteem, and inspires them to want to keep doing it. And before you know it, See, here's, here's how, in my opinion, Robin, I'm not a PhD or I'm not uh, educated by any means. I'm just, I worked on a steel mill for God's sakes. But listen, I feel like your brain, see, tell me if I'm right. It's, it's good energy, bad energy, positive energy, negative energy. And the more positive energy and the more good stuff you can put in there, positive, happy things, the better off you are. And that's why I came up with these games. And I, I keep putting these games in my head. I keep coming up with cards. I must have invented 5,000 card tricks. What is going on here? And what it does for you is it's just like right now, I feel energy coming in my body. I, and I was really tired before I came on here because I was working out. And, I was, and like now I'm getting energized again. And I think you're, I can't even, words can't describe what I feel right now about how remarkable this is your that's why i'm so happy to talk with a guy like this brain body thing that you talk about this is just so amazing it's more than just see memory training is important memory training gets you to a point where it it, it shows you these techniques and and then but the big part is you have to like you said you have to be passionate you have to want to do it really bad and that's what i found i by using cards and different things i kind of self-motivate myself to want to keep doing this and then the results are when you go in the in the weight room and all of a sudden bend a 60-penny nail with your bare hands, which is supposed to be impossible, that builds the, the confidence up even more and it just keeps going. And it's 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 like it's like a, addicting. It's just really the brain is addicting. Is that is that does that sound sense like like a well, does I, that I make sense? That, but obviously a lot of work needs to be done on the, the, the body brain connection. But one thing that again, anecdotally, everybody knows is the more mental exercise, the better. The more physical exercise, the better. When you do them both, they tend to reinforce one another and make both experiences better and make you feel better. So, Jim, you're the epitome of a fully engaged, active person, even at the age of 67. And the longer you stay like that, the slower your age and the more you'll retain your, your mental edge and sharpness. That's Just the entertainment of us all, thankfully. Well, you know, I, that's, that's amazing. I tell you another thing, ever since, ever since I met you going to MIT folks, if you've never been to MIT, wow. Is that really cool there? I mean, and, and especially when, when you took me around and showed me the different, and that's when I got the, I, the interest all of a sudden came up to me like, Hey, why don't I combine what I'm doing right now with AI, artificial intelligence, which you don't want to got me hooked on this artificial intelligence stuff. And then that's when I remember I started getting into the Alexa stuff and things like that. I want to try my latest Alexa routine on you. See, folks, what I'm doing now, I, I, I call it the extended mind. All right. I'm taking instead of doing like a mentalist, I used to be a mentalist and do like a mind reading show across the United States at college campuses. But now I'm getting into the minds of technology like cell phones, Amazon Alexas and things like computers, laptops. Like right now, Robert, I can affect that computer you're on, but I don't want to lose you right now. All right, we're going to stay on. But let me show you something new that I came up with. I just came up with this. We're going to try it. I just hope it works. 
Now, I have a deck of cards in front of me. I don't know if you can see them the way the camera's set up. I wish you were in a studio. It would be it would be much, much neater. But like, and, and I don't know if you can see the cards. It's, it's not a trick deck of cards. They're mixed up. But I'm going to go like this and remove the cards one at a time. All right? And whatever cards left on top, you're going to tell me when you want to stop anytime you want. Okay? This is not like a magic trick where I'm, you know, anytime you want me to stop, you just say stop. Ah. Stop right now? Yeah. Now, here's the top card here. All right? I'm going to keep it in plain view without seeing it. I'm going to take the Alexa like this. Watch. And we're going to turn it on. We go. Now I got, instead of using the big Alexa, we use the little one. Let's get it on here right now. I don't know if you can see it. All right. Can you see it on there, Robert? That little circle? Watch this. What's the top card? That's easy, Jim. It's the two of hearts. See, and I don't even know what it is. She said it was the two of hearts. Let's see. It's a top card. Bingo. Is that cool, Robert, or what? I don't even know. This technology stuff that I'm getting into right now is so cool. It's just beyond belief. And I'll show well, you one more. Do you have any? Do you have anything? Any objects on your table there? Your desk. I do. I have a pen. Or am I not supposed to say that? No, don't tell me what you're holding. Just grab anything and hold it up. Anything. Okay. Do you know what he's holding? I do, Jim. It's a pen. Okay. Now you might have thought she heard you, all right? <laughs> but you know it's, it's not, that's not how Alexa works, all right? Now hold it closer to your screen. It's hard to it's hard to see. I wish I could just put you on here. How do I just put you on here? Like I see your hold on. I don't know how to do this. Like, how would I switch you over? How about this? Can you see this? Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Watch. Name the color. It's your favorite color, Jim. Red. You see what I mean, Robert? This is amazing. Yes. Now, what, what I'm basically doing, and I'm going to tell you, because you're a scientist, so I'm not going to sit here and trick you, all right? It's all based on the memory stuff that I do. That's what, I what I've done was I, I, I do this with my grandchildren. I used to have an act where I taught some young lady uh, – a code that I developed and stuff like that. I now have trained folks. You're not going to believe this 22,000 bits of information into the Alexa that I have memorized. And what I do, Robert, is I talk a certain language yep. in, into the Alexa. And I have to remember everything I'm saying. Like, like if you'd like, if, like if you'd, uh, I could do it with dice. I could do it with numbers, like, Cards like if it hold up in any amount of fingers with your hand, any amount. Now, all I got to do is go like this. Watch, try to guess the number. I'm pretty sure it's a two, Jim. Yeah, you see what yeah. I mean? So it works with numbers, colors, cards, c colors of underwear. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, it's unlimited information. I'm up to 22,000 things, and I'm, I want to get up to 100,000. But this is where my mind's going. You see how crazy this is getting? I, I mean, it's, it starts off with exercising your brain to, get, to keep from being bored from the bike, and now it's turning into this. Well, you're illustrating a very important point that I think the audience should know, which is that there are uses for memory. Now, your use is pretty specialized, but the point is that most people won't want to put 22,000 no, pieces of information in your head, and I don't blame them. And that <laughs> Neither do I. Yeah. Putting in your head, 
is not necessarily going to relate to one's everyday life. But suppose you put information that you want to put it, each individual wants to put in their head, whether it's information about history or science, whatever. Having the information in your head is different than having the information at your fingertips. Because when it's in your brain, you can use it, you can manipulate it, you can relate various components of it. It becomes much more of a platform for creative exercise and endeavors. So having the information in your head, in your case, you use it for our giving the appearance of these great magic tricks in this case. or Well, and it's also to inspire someone else that, want, that I want them to learn memory and I, I want to win them over. And I, and I want to show them, hey, I can teach you how to do this. So all you have to do is learn this, 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 and this. And that's kind of why I'm doing it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a perfect use for you. Yeah. And it works. And it makes you happy. And it keeps you fit. And it keeps you motivated. So I think anybody would be crazy to tell you to stop memorizing things. Yeah, this is this is amazing. This is amazing. That's why, so, hey, you know, Jim, I think you're the only person who spoke at MIT who doesn't have a college degree. In fact, you were lucky to get a high school degree. <laughs> <laughs> they rub it in. Yeah. You know all about that one point. What is it? 1.1 grade point average. And I had to go to summer school to get the diploma. It's just amazing. I call now, it yeah. distinguished, but the most accomplished speaker ever at MIT. Hey, we had a big crowd that first time I was there. That was a huge, yeah. What yeah. You do is amazing. It, it's a, a blast from basically mankind's cognitive past. When in the old days, you wouldn't have been so unique, Jim. I hate to tell you. But 2,000 years ago, there were lots of people memorizing lots of things. So how you'd stack up against them, I don't know, you're pretty competitive, so maybe you'd stack up against them pretty well. But there are a lot of people in history who memorized an awful lot of information. There are people today in, in India, for example, that they memorize all the religious texts of those particular religions. And again, these are feats that humans have been used to doing throughout history, but as modern society arose, people began to stop doing. Now, not everybody needs to memorize everything, but it is part, I think, of a fundamental core competency for cognitive health. And I really think that it's underutilized in our educational system and basically just in our personal lives for essentially passing time and doing nifty little tricks, not having the right shopping list, et cetera. And so you've shown that a lot of uses can be put to one's memory function. And I think other people, even though they don't need to train like you did for eight hours a day for 10 years, they can train 20 minutes a day for a few months and really develop a capacity that they never had before and would basically shock themselves and gratify themselves at the same time. And, and actually make themselves, give themselves a, health, a healthier brain, as you said, because that is one million percent. I know what's happening to me, and I know I'm healthier physically and mentally. I'm more energetic, everything, than any time in my life. And it's not even close. It's not even close. And like I said, it all started to keep from being bored on the bike. I never thought it would ever turn into any of this. It's just amazing. And, and like... Like, like what I have here, like, like here for the people out there, like, do you have trouble remembering people, people's names? Do you get negative or stressed out easily? Do you worry that you might be losing your edge? Do you occasionally feel like you're stuck in a mental fog? Well, 
That's why I wrote the book. It's real. This is not a bunch of baloney. This do this. It's just so. And like I said, like you said, it's it's not like I, I'll teach in my courses. Like when I teach, like I'll, the first thing I teach, as you know, Robert, is the movies, and then I teach people the first thirteen states to the union. And I had some some kid go to me. He goes, "Why do I need that? I don't need to know the first thir- If I want the first thirteen states to the union, I just Google it." Well, that's he's missing the point. I'm talking that this is good for exercise for your brain. The exercise in your brain is so important. If you become so dependent on these. Your, your, your brain is going to uh, what, what tell, explain that. Like, yeah. does your brain need exercise? It, well, does, it does. correct. And again, the memory is not just about having the information. It's about what you do to put the information in your head. And everyone uses slightly different systems. These systems are all individualized. Some people, for example, will remember their childhood roots to school and they'll put information in that. Some people will put information in the various parts of their bedroom and you make creative links between the items that you're trying to remember and the location that you're trying to remember. It's this whole cognitive system which really does involve a lot of core competencies. So it's not just like writing it down in a book or burning it to a CD. It's an active process. As you know, Tony Dotino, a mutual friend of ours, who's yeah. founder of the U.S. Memory Championship, says memory is a verb, not a noun. And that's something that both people and scientists don't fully understand or appreciate. It's an active process involving multiple stages. And this is something which you may not be explicitly aware, but you live it every day as you exercise your memory in so many remarkable ways. And not only that, but it, it's the focus. I mean, this focus, I can't even focus should not even, I mean, that should be like a a special word. F O C U S is the most important thing. Like I have a lot of people come up to me, "Eh, I'm losing my memory. I'm not, no, it's focus. And that's why these cards, the best way, like when you, any memory athlete or anybody that, when we, when we shuffle the cards up and, and memorize the order, or like if I teach someone how to count cards, you have to maintain focus because by the time you get to the end of that deck, if you didn't focus for just one card, you're going to blow the whole routine. So these card counting routines that I developed, Robert, they, they help your focus. And without focus, there is no memory. There is no knowledge, as you know, and and, and, and the creativity and the intuition. Where's the intuition? Now, I, I have to ask you, being a scientist, why am I becoming, like, more intuitive? And what, what's happening with that? What, does does, does ex- mental exercise and brain exercise affect intuition? Okay, so in broad strokes, we don't really know anything about intuition. But I, I think that uh, – I think we can definitely make the informed speculation that intuition is some subconscious – cognition and understanding. And the more information you put in your head, whatever that intuition is, the bigger it's going to be. So you can never go wrong by putting more information at your fingertips for conscious or subconscious use. And that's exactly what you're doing all the time. So of course your your intuition is gonna expand. You've put in hundreds of thousands of pieces of information over the last 17 years. If that doesn't do something to your intuition, it would be shocking. 
But I want to bring you back to the one point you made where people might ask you, well, I'm losing my memory capacity. Well, the question is, how much are they exercising their memory capacity? If someone said to you, oh, my biceps are getting weaker. Flabby, yeah. And they said, flabbier. And they said, well, how many times do you exercise them? I never exercised them. Well, then, of course, they're going to get flabby. It's not really a surprise, right? So when people are asking what can they do for their memory or why is their memory failing, well, one question is, how much do you exercise it? That's amazing. You know, and I would have never known this. Any, I never knew this any time in my life until I started doing it on that bike when I, at the age of 50. And as you could tell, as we know from, from my stories, it definitely exercising your brain and memory. It definitely, definitely, definitely helps you manage stress. It definitely, definitely, definitely will boost your energy. I mean, those two things and your focus, those three things alone. All right. So big deal. So like, like the guy said to me, but I got a, I got a cell phone if I'm going to go. Yeah. But just these three things that it does for you far exceeds any of that. It's just so important. As you know, it's therapeutical as well as knowledge. You know what I mean? Who, like I said, a lot of people don't care about the knowledge because they, they got the cell phone and Google, Hey, Hey, we're playing Scrabble. Well, guess what? You can't use your an open dictionary or your phone in a Scrabble tournament. And if you have all the words in your head, you know, it's, it's, but, but the main thing, like we said, the stress, the energy, the focus, that's all fringe benefits of, of exercising the brain. And this is, wow. I just want to. I don't want to say that it's not unique to memory exercise. I mean, I think these benefits accrue to any form of physical exercise and any form of mental exercise. But I think the important point you make is that people should cross out their list as, of memory as a domain in which any exercise is merited. Because indeed, there are many reasons to exercise your memory. And the history of civilization show that many benefits accrue to those who do. So it's another tool in the arsenal of potential exercises people can do to keep themselves in mental and physical shape. Now, you're teaching a class out there. Uh, at least I, I remember I was in your class uh, last year. I came out and we spoke. Comp was a computational neuroscience. Now, what is the difference between teaching that class live and in person and doing it now virtually like you are? What, is, there, is there a down? Well, I'm not a fan of doing these things virtually. I'd rather be with you in a studio somewhere and doing it live and in person. I find it's very difficult to teach when I'm using Zoom because you make eye contact with your students all the time to see whether or not they're really getting it. And all of a sudden, that's completely taken away from you. So it's much more of an arduous task for me as a professor to teach a class because I have to focus. You're talking about focus. You have to focus the whole time because if you lose focus, you don't have a natural feedback loop with the students that's going to restore it. Now, I encourage my students to talk as much as possible, even though it's a Zoom class, but that's hard to do, right? People just tend not to want to ask questions on Zoom as easily as they'll ask questions in person, and that's just the way it is. So it's hard. It requires a lot of mental discipline and focus to teach a class on Zoom, that's for sure. Well, when things get back to... Uh being able to travel and go to places again. And, uh, am I your, your place with you? I I'd love to come out there. Let's do this live at MIT and, and really have a good time. And 
Yeah, like I said, you can't even do the stuff I do without. I can't do it virtually. It's the the impact is different. I oh, mean, different people have man. to. I mean, I when you came to my class in person, uh, it definitely has more impact than yeah. you can do it on Zoom. There's yeah, no question. Definitely, about it definitely. It's it's just the proximity, the emotional connection, the reactions, the expressions, the reading of body language. That's all an important part of the educational interaction. You can't really get that over Zoom as easily. No, and, and as you know, that's an important part of what I do, like doing the, the odd skills, what I like to call observation, deception, detection. You cannot possibly do that on Zoom. I can't even see you right now. You're so small. I got to put these glasses on, and I still wouldn't be able to see your damn eyes. You know what I mean? How the hell am I supposed to read you on here? I mean, it takes away all my, all my like, benefits. And that's what I you become a little bit defenseless in this circumstance because so many of your skills are predicated in actual face-to-face -face contact and interaction. But that's all right. I'm sure you're having no problem keeping yourself busy and occupied given your tendency and predilection for mental preoccupation with your memory. <laughs> well, you're the first place I'm coming. When this is all lifted, I'm coming to MIT. I'm bringing my guys with me, well, and we're going we're gonna to have a blast out there. So, Robert, thank you. Anything else you want to add before we, we wrap this up? Anything else? No, I, basically, I just want to say that memory is a topic which people should look into, whether they're scientists or lay people, because it's a fascinating topic and it can impact your own life. And to be honest, it's not hard to do memory training if one wants to make that attempt. That's all. No, and I, I, I'll vouch for that. A little passion, a little, oh my gosh, this is like, you have to do this. This is the best thing for you. It's, it's the best thing for you. Robert, thank you so much. I can't wait to see you in person out there at MIT. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on. Robert and Jamie and everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Beating the Odds with Jim Carroll. Today we had Dr. Robert Ajamian on the show. Make sure to visit us at jimcarroll.com and jimcarroll.com slash podcast. Also, don't forget to visit signalrelief.com and use promo code MEMORY only for our Beating the Odds listeners. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.